Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're, You're listening, listening to, to Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis. Joining me on the show this week is the entire Mumbrella editorial team back in the studios for the final of the year, which is a great feeling. I don't think I've ever seen Zoe's face so lit up as today being right back in front of all her podcasting equipment. Uh, so a quick welcome to the, the team. We have, as mentioned, Zoe, our producer. Uh, we also have uh, Olivia Crimmel, Brittany Rigby and Xander Wilson. Can we all have one great big hello at the same time? Hi, Damien. Excellent. This week on the Mumbrella Cast, we'll be taking a look back at the year that was and doing things a little bit differently with the 10 stories that drew the most traffic from uh, for our site this year. We've got a mix of everything in here with creativity looking like po- potentially the most popular topic, uh, but in the year that was heavily disrupted, it's particularly interesting to see what the industry was keen on reading. So let's get straight into it. In at number 10. 10. We have a feature on why MasterChef Australia was back to win in 2020 with its 12th season featuring previous contestants. Uh, This was a feature article that uh, Hannah Blackiston wrote. Uh, Xander, what can you tell us about it? Yeah, so it was a bit of a preview ahead of the the series coming back for 2020. Um, Hannah chatted to uh, the executive producer of the show, Rick Mayer, and Mark Herring of Buller. Um, during it, Mayer spoke of the desire to connect with past viewers in this series by bringing back old contestants. And interestingly, a uh, pretty hot topic around the show with the the old judges, Matt, Gary, and George not coming back, he said he believed the new judges uh, wouldn't be a factor in the ratings. But really having those familiar contestants, I think, sort of papered over that, even though they didn't say that explicitly. Um, and... With it going to air, you know, during COVID lockdowns and that sort of thing, um, they were really able to capitalise on on those lockdowns and a resurgence of home cooking this year. So with all those factors coming into play, um, it was it was a really arousing success for MasterChef's return in 2020. Uh, 1.523 million Metro viewers tuned in to watch the winner announcement and just over 2 million watched nationally. Um, so, yeah, really a great success for, for MasterChef and, and obviously a lot of industry uh interest in in the lead up to it with that feature going really well for us there was a an increased interest in reality tv this year of course because we were for a a large part of it all at home but sticking on the topic of food and beverage we have in at number nine coca-cola's limited edition share a coke with campaign uh, and that uh, involved the firefighters uh, as well who worked throughout the bushfire crisis the I guess the first of the the crises that occurred this year. Zoe, you're our creative reporter. What grabbed the attention here with this campaign? This was a direct donation from Coca-Cola to the firefighters on the front line of the bushfire crisis earlier this year. Uh, It was cans of Coke that said, share a Coke with the fireys, which obviously that's a very recognisable campaign from Coca-Cola, started in 2011 from Naked Communications and Ogilvy. It's evolved, it's gone global. And so I think that's why it probably got picked up pretty quickly on our site. And to add to that, Coca-Cola also made a number of donations to the crisis, including $250,000 and Coca-Cola Amatil matching 
up to $375,000 of employee donations. I think it's also important to look back on the ways the industry contributed in assisting in this crisis as well. I think that's what this story's position in our top 10 really represents to me. I mean, from the news side of things, we saw publishers taking away paywalls on coverage of the bushfire crisis. We saw attraction to ABC radio, to ABC news skyrocket. And from like the creative side of things, from brands as well, we saw Greenpeace put out the Ash Snow Globe for Christmas last year. And also DDB and the Red Cross comes to mind as well. They erected this Christmas tree in the middle of Sydney that was made out of burnt remnants from from bushfire locations in um, areas near Sydney as well. And that Christmas tree encouraged donations to the crisis through QR codes. So really to me, I think also at this time when we've had COVID and it's dominated so much of our lives, it is important for us to reflect back on the bushfire crisis and remember that there's still people out there who lost their homes and lost their livelihoods from that. Yeah, something that was really easy to forget in light of COVID, but now that we're all out and about to a much larger extent and even travelling a bit, we can still see the results of that, of course, driving through regional areas. Uh, A big year for for CSR as well, as you mentioned, Zoe. Moving on to the next in the list, number eight, we had our only op-ed come in in the top ten. And now this was around Target and Kmart. Liv, can you tell us a bit more about this op-ed? Uh, So this was by Melissa Packham, who is a brand is not a logo founder and brand strategist. And she took a look at the sad and untimely demise of the Target brand earlier this year. And in the piece, she talks about the fact that Target's management had been talking for several years about the need to reposition the brand, to differentiate it from its sister brand Kmart, and to get clear about its target audience, pun intended, Uh, but had failed to do so in time to keep up with the market. So unfortunately, just when everyone was heading into COVID lockdowns and there was a lot of uncertainty, that change from the management also came through with that decision to get rid of the target brand, which obviously those employees would have been very attached to. Um, I think what's interesting about this article as well is that it really asked brand owners to take a good look at themselves and to say, no matter what your category is, what's your strategy? And I was actually lucky enough to join an online course with Mark Ritson earlier in the year during COVID. And one of his main points was the fact that too often brands get locked down in the the specifics of channel and the specifics of execution. And they forget to look at actually what is their proposition? What makes them different from their competitors? What's What's their sell point? And then to go back to the drawing board and really look at that and then see, okay, and how do we then execute that? Where do we do it? How do we do it? So I think this article is a, a really good timely piece and it's not surprising that it made it into our top 10. Next up, story seven through five of our most read stories of the year on Mumbrella. And getting straight back into our 10. Coming in at number seven is a campaign for Menu Log featuring the one and only Snoop Dogg performing his version of the brand's jingle. I think I'm sort of Snoop Dogged out for this year, but 
Zoe, why did the menu log campaign specifically get so much readership? I mean, this was a global campaign actually created by McCann London for menu logs parent company Just Eat and was actually localised for a number of different markets. I think what's interesting about it in Australia is we've seen the rise and rise of Uber Eats, its direct competitors, uh, Tonight I'll Be Eating campaign and the way that's evolved and brought in a number of celebrity voices. And for menu log, I think the reason why this was so successful is, I mean, it had the jingle to start off with and I don't know about everyone else because ads is obviously my thing, but I knew what the jingle was beforehand. And so when this campaign came into me, like I immediately like understood the evolution, but it's really stamped menu logs name in the game here in Australia for food delivery, because now it's so instantly recognizable. You see Snoop Dogg come up on your ad break and you know, it's for menu log. Um, And so I think they've really, made themselves a competitor for Uber Eats in this market. I mean, you look at something like Deliveroo in Australia. I can't remember the last Deliveroo ad I've ever seen. And I also don't know whether, like, if they're not one that I would turn to, if my favourite restaurant was not on either Menulog or Uber Eats. And so I think it's been incredibly successful in that sense. And also something to note in terms of looking at our traffic, I mean, a lot of campaigns do end up popping up in the long term because people see them on TV, they search for them, and then Mumbrella pops up. So I reckon that's a little bit of what's behind it, but also this was a massive campaign for 2020. I don't know my, but the one thing that keeps pumping into my mind when I think about that ad was every time I saw the TVC, the note at the bottom that said paid actor just seemed so big. It seemed much bigger than most other TVCs. But, uh, hey, I did use menu log a fair bit during uh, the COVID stay-at-home time, so maybe it worked. Moving along to number six, a little bit of a different feel now, a much more serious story Uh We had our report on News Corp pausing over 100 print uh, titles in the height of the pandemic and 14 titles disappearing completely. Uh, Just like 10 News Corp went through a lot of change this year as it navigated the pandemic. Britt, you've covered a lot of what's been happening here. A very tumultuous year for print media. Can you explain a bit more? Yeah, it was interesting actually going back and looking at the timing of this. So this happened in late May. And I think the timing's important to look at because it was the same month as BuzzFeed and 10 Daily also shut, just a couple of weeks after both of those. And so I think by the time this News Corp story hit, we'd seen the start of what COVID looked like in terms of impacts on advertising revenue, impacts on publications in this country. But the scale of this was something else. I mean, we're talking about over a hundred papers moved to digital only, the print version's gone, more than 500 redundancies. As you said, Demo, 14 titles scrapped completely. And I think it was the first really big story of how big and how bad could this get for the media industry in Australia. And in terms of them being regional papers, I mean, we talk about regional media a fair bit, but for those communities to not have a print paper anymore, communities that, you know, may often have more elderly residents, may be in more remote regions, it's not 
always enough to just say, well, yeah, that readership will easily translate onto the online offering. So I think while those papers lived on digitally or some of them did, it was a really big story. And it made sense in terms of, you know, News Corp's position this year. So from March to June globally, revenues were down 50%. But then what was really interesting to me is a couple of months later, News Corp came out and launched 50 regional titles. So the first 15 launched in September and the rest will roll out over the next few years. It's a different offering to what a local paper would be. So there's only one reporter covering each area, so more streamlined. But, you know, it, it felt weird to write just a few months after this, this story broke. News Corp this year also launched its own newswire after pulling out of AAP and, you know, in addition to the, these redundancies, so more than 500, 500 to 1,000 was kind of the figure that was floating around in all of the reports. There was redundancies in June at the Metro Papers, redundancies last month, and News Corp and ACM both closed printing presses. So it felt like in a way this story hitting at the time that it did flagged just how serious COVID was locally and just how serious it was for media companies. Absolutely. I think the media has been through the tumble dry significantly this year, maybe not more so than any other industry, but the effects have been substantial uh, and the environment's changed. We're still talking about media as we move into the number five story. uh, And I'll throw back to you again, Britt, but number five was uh, the changes made at Network 10. And that was specifically to do with uh, the departure of Kerry-Ann Kennelly, Natasha Belling and Tim Bailey as cuts were made across the network there. Uh, What happened there, Britt? I think the interest and attention here is in those big names. So there was 25 cuts made total, which compared to other cuts we've seen is on the smaller end of scale, the scale. But, you know, Tim Bailey, as you said, had been around for what felt like forever on 10. Kerry-Ann Kennelly, Joe Hildebrand, you know, those two particularly were quite controversial. And so there were questions about whether or not Studio 10 was trying to address that. And, you know, they're not my two favourite media personalities, but they do have a fan base. There was a real reaction to those names being out. Joe's exit, Joe Hildebrand, was a little bit more drawn out. There was, you know, will he stay, won't he stay? He's not going to be on Studio 10, but will he stick around with the network? Interestingly, both Joe and Tim went to 2GB. So Tim is now in a weatherman role with Ben Fordham. Apparently, Ben caught him up 20 minutes after the news hit and offered him a job or at least offered him a, a meeting with Tom Malone, the boss of Nine Radio. And then Joe's picked up shifts at 2GB as well. But Tim particularly was quite vocal about how devastated he was by the redundancy. And I think him having a big name, him going to 2GB, the story kind of flowing on as he kept talking about it meant that we didn't just have the one surge of readership, but it was a story that people were coming back to. It was also the first step in the revamp of Studio 10. So it's always been well behind Sunrise and Today. So the streamlined panel of Sarah Harris and Tristan McManus does make sense, kind of cut the fat, so to speak. 10 did say that these changes specifically were to achieve efficiencies, which caught my eye because previously when they'd closed 10 daily, they were very clear this is not COVID related. So it was a hint at the fact that COVID had hit that business. 
Of course, it also made cuts earlier in the year when it merged sales teams with Viacoms. So, of course, 10 was bought in 2017 by CBS and CBS then merged with Viacom. But it's been a big year for 10 generally. You know, they started the year with their CEO, Paul Anderson, leaving. Bev McGarvey was promoted to the very wordy title of head of content and executive vice president. And then last month, they hired Jared Villani from Cordamentha. So he's now chief operating and commercial officer, and he'll co-lead the business with Bev. So a very big year for 10, but a big year for TV companies and media companies generally as I think the top 10 shows. Absolutely. Is there a good acronym for Bev's title? Have we figured that out <laughs> yet? Have, can we make anything out of that? Look, I, I don't know, but I'm not going to be the one to, to stick my head above the parapets and, and say something. I mean, I think we used to say 10 boss, which is funny yeah. because that's what one of their multi-channels was very briefly called. Yes, so. this is true. It's quite apt. It was quite apt. But no, don't stick your head above the parapet with so little of the year to go, Brit. Coming up next, our final four stories that top the readership charts on Mumbrella this year. Coming in at number four, we have one for those who enjoy multiple varieties of Big Mac. The burger trademark battle got heated this year. Crossing now to our burger expert from Mumbrella, Xander Wilson. Xander, give us your thoughts. <laughs> um, so Maccas took Hungry Jacks to court in in late o- late August this year over over their new burger, the Big Jack. Um, and Hungry Jacks promptly turned the the legal battle into an ad, which I was clearly the target audience of, as as the TVC sort of littered my sports consumption on streaming app, apps throughout the uh, the back end of of this year. Uh, so the commercial itself, uh, it saw Hungry Jacks point out, I guess, the several reasons why they believe the Big Jack and the Big Mac were were quite different propositions. Um, and and at the time, a statement from Hungry Jack said that said that they were just really bemused at the allegation that customers could get confused between the the two burger chains or or indeed the two burgers itself, as was the implication in in the in the legal action from McDonald's. Um, so the result is that is that the two parties went to court in October, um, and and where McDonald's legal counsel argued that Hungry Jack's had deliberately copied the Big Mac, its ingredients, and I get its image at large. Um, and, and that will return to court at a later date. Um, if Hungry Jacks were worried about that, they're not showing it. Um, they've, they've launched the follow-up to that commercial um, and launched a new burger called the Chicken Jack. Um, so it would seem they're pretty comfortable where they are. And 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 as I remember, the panellists, including Russian, Russell Howcroft on Gruen pointing out at the time, it's just great publicity for Hungry Jacks, the entire thing, and 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 really the chances of, of anything going further legal-wise is is pretty slim at this point. Did you try the Chicken Jack, Xander? I haven't, I haven't yet. No, I, I tried the Big Jack though. Any good? It, it was Out all right. Out of ten, it, it was it was fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> Not a glowing endorsement, but we'll take it nonetheless. The third most read story on Mumbrella this year was a very serious story it was the farewell to abc's head of specialist aiden laverty who sadly passed away in august he joined abc in 2017 as executive producer of catalyst a year later he was named manager of the science unit across radio tv and digital and then became the head of specialist 
He also spent more than 20 years at the BBC. The ABC's David Anderson said in a statement, Aidan was an inspiring and endlessly energetic content maker and manager who played a substantial role in reinvigorating our content and strategy. Aidan will be sorely missed. We're nearing the end of the countdown now and the number two story where Sunrise's Samantha Armitage lashed out at the Sunday Telegraph journalist Annette Sharp as she took leave from Sunrise. Liv, what was going on here? Yes, this was um, quite a surprising article and this is quite a prickly topic still because Armitage is constantly in the press for uh, the wrong reasons and that's that she's being forced out of her spot on Sunrise. Uh, The latest ones are not actually from Annette Sharp, they're from Sydney gossip columnist Andrew Hornery. Um, The presenter has strongly denied any suggestion that she's on the way out, but the the riffs and the rumours keep persisting. Uh, Armitage has had a very difficult personal year. Uh, Her mother Libby passed away. She also parted ways um, with her agent uh, Nick Fordham and she's currently preparing for her wedding so it's a lot to take on. There are also uh, quite a lot of pieces about her um, health being one of the issues earlier in the year as well which uh, saw her step down to four days a week at sunrise and she's recently returned though and and funny enough uh, Annette was the first to say that it had uh, generated positive ratings results for the network I think this article made it into the top 10 because people love a spat between women. If you look at Taylor Swift and the ongoing rumours about rifts with her and other industry women, if you look at the constant gossip in the media about the rift between Meghan Markle and her sister-in-law, women bickering seems to be something in particular that people love to consume. Um, Why that is, I, I can't quite articulate, but also it is interesting to see that Armitage, of all people, is the target of so much rumour, given that she's got such a wholesome image. So we'll have to see where this goes, especially in the new year. And uh, hopefully she manages to put it all aside for her wedding day. Absolutely. And that brings us to the story that received the most page views on Mumbrella for 2020. Unfortunately, slash fittingly, uh, it was about Woolworths taking out a full page ad to explain toilet paper shortages and new COVID-19 safety measures. Thankfully, that's not a problem anymore. Uh, I don't know about everyone else's experience, but I, for one, couldn't get toilet paper for a bit over a month. Sydney's up and North Shore was particularly badly hit by that toilet paper shortage, and I was left waiting for mum and dad to buy me extra rolls of toilet paper. Uh, But the good news for that part of the industry, Ibis World Research is uh, saying that it's expected there's going to be growth of 14% in that industry for 2019 and 20, which is attributable to the effects of COVID-19. Yeah, something that really stands out to me looking back on this is the impact this had on the supermarket industry as a whole. I mean, we also saw full-page ads taken taken out by all of the supermarket brands together, asking for people to treat their staff with respect after they were subject to violence and abuse in stores. So it was quite interesting in that respect to see all of those brands actually working together. Um, And something interesting that Lisa Ronson, the CMO of Coles, said to me a little while ago when we were talking about their Christmas campaign was that in stores, it's still a communication channel for all of these COVID safe practices, whereas now on TV, they can advertise things 
that are a, li- a bit more happier with families and Christmas coming together. But it's interesting to look look at it that way because sometimes I think even we look over retail sometimes as a channel of communication, like in-store communication. So looking at how um, this led on to communication from supermarkets as a whole is quite interesting to me. There were, of course, a lot of big stories this year that didn't make the top 10, particularly in the second half of the year. So before we round out the final episode of the Mumbrella cast for 2020, we'll do a a quick buzz around the room and see what everyone in the editorial team thought was their uh, biggest or one of the biggest stories of the year that didn't make the list. I'll quickly start off a, a couple from me WPP PLC's takeover of WPP AUNZ or the proposed takeover at this stage as we speak was particularly interesting. We of course had Jens Monsees at Mumbrella 360. Uh, He's had a relatively good run since he started and the share price has gone up in uh, collective months before coming down with uh, COVID and then rising again. Uh, it seemed like possibly a very good time for this to happen and it's all really kicking off now and I'm sure we'll be uh, potentially reporting on that a bit more before the end of the year, uh, but definitely into the new year. Uh, But also one of the other big stories for us as a business was the shutdown of comments on our site, which got a lot of comments itself. It was the final story that we allowed comments on. Uh, We reported recently that there was a development in that story in that Jason Doris's lawyers had asked us to remove comments he now admits that he made under pseudonyms and maybe that might develop further. But what we will be doing is looking at that in a bit more detail uh, in the near future as well. And more than anything else, we're looking for industry opinions. So if you do have any opinion on comments, whether you want to see them remain off, whether you want to see them come back, whether you want to see them attacked in a different light, it would be great to hear your feedback. So please do come back to us on that. I'll cross over now in alphabetical order to keep things fair. Britt, other stories that might have got your attention this year? It was quite hard to narrow down, but I don't think that I can go past Hugh Marks leaving nine. It was very unexpected came on a Saturday, really nobody saw it coming. It only started to kind of sizzle a little bit the day before at the AGM when, you know, Peter Costello, the chair of Nine, was asked questions about his personal life. But even then, I don't think that anyone thought that, you know, literally by the weekend, Hugh Marks would be resigning. So I can't go past that one, I don't think. Olivia, your pick for 2020, even though you've only been with us for a month, but <laughs> let's go the whole of 2020. I I think it's actually um, the Google V traditional media owners and the new uh, um, news media and digital platforms mandatory bargaining code. Thank you, government, for that title. Uh, this is interesting to me because it's, it seems like they've been playing nicely for so long and then all of a sudden – you know, now that there's the potential for for dollars to be on the table, 
things have got a bit more heated. We saw, you know, articles in News Corp publications. We saw comments made at AGMs at both the seven and also nine AGMs about Google and describing them as uh, foreign entities that don't pay tax here. So it is interesting to see where this will go once this bill actually goes through Parliament and it is approved in some way, shape or form and what the outcome of that will be. Xander, you, uh, similar to Olivier, have only been here for two months now, I believe, but I, I am going to throw you into the deep end. Your big picks for 2020. Yeah, so uh, given I've spent the better part of the last couple of years covering the radio trade, no surprise that my pick comes from Radioland. Um, the departure of Alan Jones was 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 massive this year, although the writing was probably on the wall when, when Nine... Um, had their takeover of Macquarie Radio and 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 Jones's mate Singo, aka John Singleton, sold his shares in Macquarie. Um, but despite heaps of lawsuits over the last little while, his departure is 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 in no way not significant. Um, under his watch, his breakfast show on Two GB went to number one two hundred and twenty six times since he started broadcasting in the nineties. Um, I mean, there's very little chance of that record ever being replicated in the Sydney market, though it should be noted that Ben Fordham has made a ripping start there. Um, so, you know, a, a broadcaster, whatever you think of him, really with no compare. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest story of, of the year for me. Last but certainly not least, Zoe? I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I have a reason why. I have two stories, and they actually, like, really top and tail the year. So the first one for me, and this was like the start of February, was Ben Lilly buying McCann. I mean, he obviously left McCann as its CEO a couple of years ago, went overseas, came back, was a bit quiet in the Australian market. I think he was investing in a couple of different businesses and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, bought McCann. And since then, he's announced his acquisition strategy, which he's trying to build that agency out um, incorporate a number of different capabilities across digital media, social, PR. And I'm really interested to see how that pans out. He's also brought on a lot of big names in the industry across the creative and strategy side of things. So next year, I'll be looking forward to seeing the pitch list they get on, the clients they pick up and seeing, especially now there's so much talk in the industry about independence, um, how they take all that momentum on and tackle the industry. And then to end the year, also talking about independence, was Chris Howitson leaving CHE Proximity with Chief Creative Officer Ant White. They're off to start Howitson and White, their own agency. We talked about it, I think, two weeks ago on the Mumbrella cast, so I won't go into too much detail now. But they're starting their agency early next year. And again, very interested to see how that grows and develops and the clients they bring on. I mean, there's so many whispers in market at the moment about who like the founding client is. And I'll definitely be keeping my ear to the ground over Christmas on that one. And to really end the year in that sense is Justin Hind becoming the CEO of CHE Proximity to fill in Chris Howitson's shoes. And that wraps up our final episode of the Mumbrella Cast for the year. We'll be taking a short break over Christmas and the New Year and we'll return in early 2021, hopefully to the situation we're all in now where we're sitting in the studio, actually recording in front of each other, socially distanced of course, and uh, getting a professional production out the door. 
So from everyone here at Mumbrella, we're wishing you a very restful break over the holiday period and looking forward to bringing you all the industry news and analysis next year. For now, though, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next year. Thank you to the team as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.